Hello, I'm Jim White. Welcome to It's Friday, your guide to the best of art, culture and entertainment for the lockdown life. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google and leave us a review. And don't forget to sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk. This week, Meghan Markle celebrates being freed from the chains of royal duty by doing the narration for a new Disney feature about elephants. Elephant, narrated by Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex. And we've been listening to a new album from the Mancunian singer-songwriter, Ren Harvier. Don't it feel good to be Plus, as it's Friday... We're going to be sharing a TV dinner with this ludicrously comical family. Oh, my bloody back! God, I wish I didn't have a body. Uh, I'm sure it can be arranged. I can arrange it. (laughs) First, though, it's been another harsh week for live cultural events. The Edinburgh Festival, which has been entertaining summer visitors to the city for more than 70 years announced that it will not take place this August. Elsewhere, cinemas, theatres, galleries and museums remain boarded up. As the nation hunkers down at home, to keep us sane, we've all been obliged to search for gems online instead, like this pair of junior Sicilian twins making a far better fist of a Coldplay classic than Chris Martin and his chums have ever managed. Or the sports commentator, Andrew Cotter, bringing us live coverage of his dogs eating dinner. Both settling quickly into rhythm. You can see the contrast in styles. Mabel, heavy tail use. Happy to be alive. Everything's amazing. Olive, more steady, wasting little energy. Very much of the old Labrador school. Eating's a serious business. Don't bollocks around wagging your tail. Undoubtedly, the internet is made for times like these, not least in the manner in which it allows us all to engage in a bit of cultural tourism. Organisations and destinations across the globe have been putting their output online for us to enjoy without ever having to rise from our armchairs. And to help me pick through some of the best virtual reality cultural tourist opportunities out there, I'm joined at an appropriately safe distance by Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television critic, and Brian Viner, the Daily Mail's film critic. Um, Brian, where have you been journeying to? I've been all the way to Peru, Jim. I've been to Machu Picchu, (laughs) virtually, of course. Uh, it's, a, it's a website. It's called youvisit.com. I don't know if it's been put up there since the since the virus or whether it was already up there. I, th- I suspect it was already there. But uh, anyway, it's a way of me um, following in the footsteps of both my sons, who at various times in the past five years or so have been to Machu Picchu. I never have. So, but now I sort of feel as though I have, because um, you you know it, it takes you it takes you round and you uh, you have a common tree and you you know you can look all around 360 degrees and all the rest of it it's very um, it's very interesting i think we might even have a clip it is widely held that machu picchu with its iconic stone walls emerald green terraces and dazzling structures was gifted to emperor pachacuti as a royal estate now is that a bucket list destination for you brian have you always craved to follow in your son's footsteps <laughs> i'd prefer to think they crave to follow in mine but um, uh, but but um, uh, yes, I've always been interested in. in I, I've have been to South America. Our our youngest uh, was there for a year, and we went to visit him in Argentina and um, uh, Uruguay about eighteen months ago. Um, but we didn't get as far up as Peru. And yes, I've always been fascinated in in the whole story of Machu Picchu, which this little virtual tour doesn't go on for very long. Um, but it, it it 
you know, it tells us all about the history and we see the remarkable views from the top, which actually was denied my older son who got there in thick fog. So I've seen what he hasn't and he's been there. Ah, uh, one upmanship yeah. by uh, a <laughs> finer senior. Exactly. Uh, Claudia, Claudia, where have you been? I've been to Central Park in New York, the same website that Brian used, actually. So it's just visit.com forward slash tour forward slash Central Park. And you can go on a, a virtual guided tour. And it, the tour is actually conducted by one of the park's real life guides and conservationists. So you, you enter at West 72nd Street and then you walk all the way across the park and you exit at East 72nd Street. And it's 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 really detailed. Your guide tells you lots about the key areas that you're in and you can go off on these little detours you can click on arrows and go off on your own path in fact i i visited the park for real a, a few years ago and i got lost and i actually got lost doing the virtual tour as well at one point <laughs> uh, no i was i was looking at the television news the other night and they had a uh, drone footage of central park which has got a morgue in it at the moment so i assume this is old footage that you're the, you're going in it was filmed on a really sort of beautiful summer's day it looks like it was filmed last summer everyone the people that you see are all in sort of uh, yeah short and t-shirts and so yeah it does look lovely really beautiful blue skies named for the yoshino cherry trees that bloom here in april cherry hill was originally designed as a scenic turnaround and watering trough for horse-drawn carriages designed by park architect jacob ray mold cherry hill fountain is one of the park's most celebrated victorian designs it features decorative tiles eight small bird baths frosted glass globes and a gilded finial. The question is, though, uh, Brian, is, is this close to reality? It's called virtual reality. But do you actually feel the same as if you'd uh, gone up to the top of Machu Picchu? Um, I think, in all honesty, no, you don't. Um, it's just a way of, you know, it's like it's like watching a sort of, you know, 3D TV or something. And you, you, you do. Um, and the truth is that this, the particular commentary for the Machu Picchu tour is slightly annoying. It's a slightly annoying um, uh, voice that, uh, that accompanies us all around. So you don't, you, don't, you don't totally feel it. But it's, you know, it's the best we can do at the moment, I think, is the point. And I have to say that I, you know, I did a bit of reading to accompany my, my tour. And, and you know, I found out some things that I wouldn't otherwise have. So, for instance... Uh, the guy who who discovered Machu Picchu after it had been centuries, kind of, you know, empty and neglected, was a, an American archaeologist called Hiram Bingham, who who discovered it in 1911. And I gather that he was supposedly the model for Indiana Jones. So that's ah. something I didn't know and wouldn't have Ooh. known if I hadn't gone on this virtual tour. Compared to you two, I feel I feel really unadventurous because where I've been is to the National Theatre on the South Bank, a place I've been to a, a lot in the in in reality. And what they've done is that they've put online some of their great shows over the years. These were shows that were actually screened in cinemas uh, in the past, and they've just put those online. But the one I saw was uh, One Man Two Governors, um, which is uh, got. James Corden in it. Now, this is going to shock you, uh, Brian and Claudia, but James Corden is brilliant. This was in the days before he became a celebrity stalker, uh, when he, he was just so full of charm and, and, and brilliance in, in, this, in this performance. With two jobs, I mean, I can do it as long as I don't get confused. But I do get confused easily. But I don't get confused that easily. Yes, I do. I'm my own worst enemy. Stop being negative. I'm not being negative. I'm being realistic. 
I'll screw it up. I always do. Who screws it up? You. You're the role model for village idiots everywhere. Me? You're nothing without me. You're the cock-up. Don't you call me a cock-up, you cock-up. Now, it went out live, but you can now track it back. So uh, it, it, you can go online and, and, and watch it again. And there is a real sense in a strange way of being transported to the front row of the National Theatre because some of the views uh, that you get uh, of the, the stage action, frankly, are much better than the tickets I could normally afford, which are right at the back. I saw it live, Jim, um, when it was first on with James Corden. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I echo everything you've said. Um, but I wonder, and without giving away any spoilers, there's a, there's a moment which I think involves a sandwich, which was electrifying in the theatre. It was, it was a really brilliant moment. Does that come across, that particular moment that I'm referring to? Uh, we, can you imagine, because we're at distance here, the, uh, that I'm using um, air inverted commas, the ad-lib moment you're talking about? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say any more because I would hate to issue a spoiler. But yeah, that's right. yeah that's <laughs> yes, I'm, it is I'm intrigued in now. I'm intrigued by the sandwich because I never saw it. I couldn't get tickets. So I think I might have to go and watch it. Oh, you've got to watch the, it. The sandwich. You've got to watch it. It's brilliant. The sandwich is, is, is uh, as Brian says, one moment. There's another moment which I think is one of the greatest greatest pieces of physical theatre I've ever seen, where a waiter has a problem with some stairs and his hands filled with glasses. That is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So, anyway, you two, where are you going to go to next? Brian, what's what's your next destination for this cultural tourism? Well, I... I've actually been slightly disappointed in what's available out there. And I hope that, you know, maybe one of the good things that might come out of this whole strange lockdown period is that virtual tours online become better because I, I, I love Paris. I, I lived there as a student for a year and I, I know it pretty well, but I love going back there as often as I can. And, and it's one of the, you know, it's one of the personal um, disasters of this of this period that i you know i'm not able to make one of my you know usual regular trips to paris um so i did it virtually and it was actually quite disappointing and i, I wish there was something better it was just accompanied by kind of accordion music uh, <laughs> one big cliche and we go from the louvre to the sacre Coeur, and it's quite it's nice to see but i just thought it could be done better so my plea uh, that I'm sending out there to people who are clever enough to do this sort of thing is to put up some better virtual tours. And uh, but I, if I if I can find one, then I should be going to Paris. And Claudia. Yeah, I, I agree with Brian. I was a bit disappointed by some of the museum tours. Um, I was actually meant to be in Lisbon um, this coming weekend, so that's not happening. So I might see if I can find a virtual Lisbon tour. Otherwise, I quite fancy watching a, a play at the Globe. For more than 40 years, my guest Steve Hackett has been one of Britain's most original musical innovators. He's dabbled in world music, jazz, classical, and to every genre he's brought a freshness of interpretation and style. But he's probably best known for his time in Genesis in their prog rock days in the mid-70s. And this autumn, he'll be touring Europe with his band playing Genesis's 1977 live album Seconds Out in its entirety. And, and by an odd coincidence... Three other members of that original Genesis lineup have decided to reform to tour at the same time. So for fans, we're about to enter a golden age of Genesis. And Steve joins me now to tell me about his tour. 
the tour that I'm doing in the autumn, I'm going to be playing a Genesis album, uh, Seconds Out, from 1977. I mean, that was an, an album that cherry-picked across the best of the things that we'd done in the 1970s at that point. So I'm going to be basically specializing in that. There will be some other things as well, but I haven't made up my mind exactly what, what else that's going to be. As it was a double album, um, that's about an hour and a half's worth of stuff. Uh, right there, you know, 90 minutes. Um, but I tend to do three-hour shows these days, so um, uh, there would be room, room for a lot of other stuff as well. So you're doing a bit of time travelling. I mean, will you yes. go back and replicate it as it was, or are you going to take the opportunity to, well, improve little bits and pieces here and there? Um, well, whenever I attack the Genesis material, um, uh, I tend to let evolution take its course and... Um, I throw it open to the guys and I say to them, you know, we, we're going to respect the spirit of the of the original, but then, for instance, if we do a tune like I Know What I Like, which was from 1973, the first hit single that Genesis ever had, um, we do tend to update it. So whichever incarnation of whichever band plays it, it's different. When we did it with Peter Gabriel, he tended to sort of run around the stage doing impressions of a lawnmower. Uh, <laughs> when, when it was Phil Collins, as lead singer um, he did a tambourine dance famously with it and but with our band uh, we turn it into a sax solo we, uh, we we make it as jazzy as possible then it goes into rock and, uh, and then, you know, it takes off like a rocket and then we bring it back to the tunes so uh, you know songs like that which were very short um, it's possible to um, you know take them a stage further that album that you're going to be reproducing seconds out yep. Yep. Uh, that came at the end of a it, it was it was a live album that was recorded on a tour in 77 yes. which was yep. basically your last hurrah with uh, yes. with genesis it was and, Going back on that material, is there any sort of, you know, traumatic memories or, or, or does, that, d d does it not come up? Um, I don't have any traumatic uh, memories of the, of the music at the time. Uh, no, I think that um, I knew that my, my days with, with the band were, were, were numbered because I started doing solo albums on my own um, that were started to do well and i realized that i had a whole career there rather than working with you know the limitation of, of, of composition by committee which all all bands are really subject to so uh, my, my argument wasn't with with the music but um having having hits on your own can make it very difficult when you're when you're still in a band you will be going out. You toured last year doing some uh, Genesis as well. You did uh, yep. a, a really successful tour of selling England by the pound, didn't yes. you, last year? I did, um, I did. And you're going out this autumn, but so are the other guys from Genesis. Yes. They, they obviously thought, hey, hang on, he's got a good idea here. Well, it's a funny thing, but yeah, my tour was already on sale for three months ahead of theirs. And basically, I, I kind of, released a little bit of information about it i said well you know to try and stay on the, on the positive side with all the competition obviously i, I said well I, I think that you know that genesis um, will undoubtedly uh, prioritize the 1980s where they've had most of the hit singles but whereas i celebrate the 1970s um, from an era where 
John Lennon said that, that Genesis was one of the bands that he was interested in. So that was, you know, selling England by the pound. And I figured if it was good enough for John Lennon, then um, it's got to be of, of interest to a, an awful lot of other people as well. So I've been touring a Selling England show, uh, which has really sort of stretched over 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 two years. But I still do my solo stuff as well. It's it's important to uh, to be current as well as as to be nostalgic to keep the the museum doors open uh, <laughs> for as long as possible for the for the glorious old exhibits. But um, I, I I do continue to, to try and do, if not an album a year, once every two years at the moment. Yeah, you were always such an innovator, uh, Steve. I mean, you, you invented all sorts of techniques on a guitar. I mean, things like tapping and sweeping and all, all sorts yes. of things that you did. Uh, will you will you be displaying those on on stage? Will Will there be opportunities for the for the real aficionado to see something special? Yeah, there there are those moments of of, of guitar fireworks. Um, that was always part and parcel of what I did with with Genesis. But you know, technique is part of it, and it's lovely to have come up with those things that have become part and parcel of of the kind of dictionary or the glossary of terms for even heavy metal players. You know, using tapping because it enables you to play very very quickly. Again, it's this thing about using the fretboard a little bit like um, like a keyboard, where you're not actually picking every note, but you're hammering on and off with it uh, with both hands. And um, it's a good technique, but I, I do like to have a good tune too. I like. I like the romance of of good tunes. Uh, you, I, I love your I love that expression you use that this was like opening the doors to a museum. You you know you have in your hands an awful lot of your fans' past. Uh, that's a, a that's a real responsibility, isn't it? Well, I think that um, in, in a way, I think the rest of the band have, have distanced themselves from that era, and I think well, you know, if that. You know, if that had John Lennon's sanction, then I think that's great. You know, you, you've got two eras of the band, haven't you? You've got the sort of MTV-sanctioned era, and then you've got, you know, Beatle approval. And I, um, I, I'm very proud of my time in, in the band, but, it, you know, it was one of the most competitive teams in the world. You know, everybody could write. I think it's never worth being acrimonious about people that you once worked with. I mean, we are still all friends. I think that individually it was very strong. I don't think there were any passengers in in that band. Um, you know what question's going to come next. <laughs> will you? Will the two of you, two groups, get together uh, 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 next year uh, uh, have a single tour? Well, I think everyone will just have to wait and see about that. Um, <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, meanwhile, I think you know. I think that you know there are many incarnations of the band, but it t- does tend to fall into two distinct categories of, of um, at least of, of Genesis material, where you know the very productive seventies and the very productive nineteen eighties. Uh, and as a final thought, Steve, which song, which Genesis song, do you most enjoy playing on stage? Actually, funnily enough, from 1973, from uh, 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 Dancing with the Moonlit Night, I think is um, a really extraordinary tune, you know, that goes through a Scottish plain song, a kind of Elgarian verse, you know, with references to um, Land of Hope and Glory, Citizens of Hope and Glory, and then goes into psychedelia meets jazz rock fusion all sorts of stuff and you get moments of mozart creeping in and uh, influences of classical music and i i think that it's it's a hybrid of 
of styles that I don't think any other band has quite come close to um, producing anything quite like that. So I, I like it for, you know, it's, it's an idiosyncratic trajectory, if you like. brilliant choice thank you so much for joining us Steve thank you it's been great talking to you Jim thank you so much now it's time for hits and misses where the Daily Mail's critics weigh up the latest releases and tell us what's worth catching and what it's best to keep at rather more than two metres distance Um, first up is the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner Um, what's all this about Meghan Markle Brian Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, has voiced a new Disney documentary called Elephant. So it's about a herd of elephants who travel across the Kalahari Desert in Africa to uh, find water uh, and back again. It's a, a thousand mile trek. Um, the background to it is quite interesting because there is actually some some footage, uh, but I think you can probably find it on YouTube, of Prince Harry and Meghan at a function, a black tie function, where Harry is overheard, uh, I'm not quite sure who managed to get this little bit of cheeky footage, but anyway, he's overheard telling the the boss of Disney, Bob Iger, that uh, Meghan does voiceover work, and he's basically touting the business here. (laughs) Uh, And uh, anyway, so from that, we get to this, which is her doing the her doing the voiceover. I don't think we have a clip because they, they haven't released it yet of her actually speaking, but we do have somebody introducing her. Elephant, narrated by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, follows one family's extraordinary 1,000-mile journey across Africa on an adventure that will change their lives. Now, is David Attenborough uh, at risk of, uh, of losing his job as the world's greatest uh, narrator of wildlife? I, I, I don't think um, the great man is at any risk whatsoever, Jim, no. I mean, for a start, this is very, it's all very, very Disney-fied, and I think it's enough to make, you know, Sir David kind of wince at, at the very <laughs> least. So it's very, it's very sort of anthropomorphised. So, you know, she gives, the, she gives all the elephants a name, and she says things like, you know, and now it's time for a pool party. And they, and it's, so it's all totally kind of Disney-fied. She, I have to say, I mean, uh, you know, and I, she gets an awful lot of stick, and I'm not going to, you know, lay into her again. But um, she does kind of overdo it terribly. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, she puts on voices, and you can hear her sort of, uh, she's either on the verge of a, of a giggle throughout or on the verge of, breaking down into sobs as, as it gets sad you know it's uh, she she really overdoes it terribly and um it's aimed at kids you know so fair enough in a way but i yes to answer your question i don't think uh dave lassenborough is in any risk whatsoever of losing his gig as the uh, as the main narrator of this kind of thing but also but what i quite enjoyed from it was you know she she reads this script and and i think whoever wrote the script for her has has just snuck in sort of little coded rebukes to uh megan so for instance she talks about the great matriarch and she she refers again and again to the great matriarch she's talking about the um you know the big kind of 50 year old elephant who leads this herd but i but i think whoever wrote the script is actually referring to the queen Um, so so she says the great matriarch she talks about the great matriarch being a force to be reckoned with 
and a powerful role model and all that sort of thing. I think that's just having a little dig at Megan. <laughs> so it's all this brush. Yeah, well, I, you know, I mean, she's she's not great in it. She overacts. But, you know, the, the, the shots are fantastic of, the, of these animals. So I think we should call it a hit. What else have you been able to catch up with uh, this week? Yes, there's a, there's a film called Four Kids and It, which is out on Sky Cinema today. Um, and it, it is uh, based on the um, Jacqueline Wilson novel Four Children and It, which came out, I think, about eight years ago. And that, in its, that itself was inspired by the E. Nesbitt story Five Children and It, uh, which goes back to sort of 1902. So, um, so it's, a, it's a, a venerable story, and it's been given a sort of modern twist. And Jacqueline Wilson does that thing of, you know, telling stories about children, but with sort of slightly kind of dark, you know, telling the realities of, uh, presenting the realities, the harsh realities of life. So, um, so here we have two sets um, of single parents, he played by Matthew Good, and she played by Paula Patton American. And they bring their children, uh, respective children, who've never met each other, who don't even know that their, their, their parents are sort of seeing each other. And they take them to the seaside in the hope that they're going to sort of turn them all into one big happy family. Let's just listen to a clip. This thing gives wishes. One wish a day, but there's consequences. Have you come across anything unusual? Magic is no twinkly lights, it's stardust. I got great news for you, because this is the best wish you've ever heard. So they go down to the beach, these kids, and they, they're very... Um, anxious about uh, about the situation and they you know they don't they don't the two sets of children two sets of siblings don't like each other but there on the beach they meet this mystical creature called a samiad who is voiced who is, looks a little like a sort of little goblin and he is voiced it's all cgi and it is voiced he is voiced by sir michael kane and that's the best bit uh, michael kane's great and his voice is marvelous and they somehow the the sort of facial expressions of this little creature even seem to replicate those of Michael Caine. You can sort of almost recognise him in this creature. And he's very funny, and he has the power to grant wishes, but only for a day. So the children go off on these kind of magical adventures, granted by this creature. But there's a baddie lurking in the background, and he's played by Russell Brand, who, I have to say, overacts terribly. A very hirsute uh, Russell Brand, a huge kind of grey beard. Um, and he's trying to get his hands on the Samiad, and so the story is, you know, how they how they manage to keep the uh, keep the Samiad away from uh, the villainous Russell Brand, and it's all um, it, it's try it's very whimsical. It tries a little bit too hard. Some of the acting is, I have to say, a little bit iffy. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but apart from that of Russell Brand, of course, for me it didn't really work. Of course, I'm not seeing it through eight-year-old eyes, so maybe children will like it, but um, I just thought it went on a bit, and it just doesn't quite... I don't know, it doesn't have the charm that it seems to think it has, although every time that um, the Samiad itself and the great Sir Michael Caine pop up, it's, uh, it's kind of charming. So um, I would say it is uh, sort of a, a, a very, a kind of a modest hit.
Oh, I'm joined by Agent Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic, to suggest what we should be getting Alexa to download for us this week. Uh, Agent, still dancing around your kitchen? Well, yeah, we spent most of the weekend still grooving to the uh, the Dua Lipa album that came out last week, which is uh, a very kind of upbeat um, album to get us through these troubled times. Uh, but there's still plenty of music out there. I mean, there's all obviously all the uh, the kind of streaming sensations. I'm, I'm enjoying Gary Barlow's daily crooner sessions where he uh, he does a kind of virtual duet with a, a kind of fellow singer there was a really good one with um, Beverly Knight this week where they went the full uh, George Michael and Aretha on I Knew You're Waiting For Me so there's 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 lots of nice new stuff being put out there but also just you know um, the regular album releases and I've got a couple this week a couple of um, singer-songwriters the first is uh, a Mancunian singer um, Ren Harview who she she emerged eight years ago and she put a debut album out called Through the Night in 2012. And uh, she was all kind of set to become this bright new star. And then it all went very, uh, very pear-shaped. She had a serious accident. She broke her back and was um, hospitalized and walked with a stick. And that obviously just, you know, she's fully recovered now, but that put a kind of real kind of um interruption on her career and um she lost her record deal i think her romance broke down so everything was going wrong um but she's she's back now and she's she's fully recovered and she's got a she's put a second album out on um simon raymond's bella union out bella union label which is a really good label simon was a member of the cocteau twins and uh, he he's got a his label is a real kind of mark of quality and uh, and ren's second album revel in the drama it's it's kind of albums like classic torch songs with a kind of bit of a 60s vampish pop feel a bit um redolent of dusty springfield and it's got all these old hollywood strings it's um co-written by Romeo Stoddard of the Magic Numbers you may remember from a few years ago and it's it's a diary of her struggle with self-belief uh, but it's essentially an album of survival and uh, she's got an incredible voice and some classic arrangements I think we're going to hear a song called Teenage Mascara kind of storytelling that comes across in the whole album does it yeah it does in fact she describes that song as uh, examining emotions that go from feeling like a sultry sex kitten to being bedridden with greasy hair and i think that's something a lot of us can relate to at the moment <laughs> uh, maybe not the sultry sex kitten bit, the other, bit. <laughs> <laughs> the other the other bit and uh, it's, it's a really nice it's almost like a, a record out of out of time it's like a kind of almost pre-rock and roll feel to it it's um it's got a kind of nice vintage retro feel, and uh, yeah, I, I really like it, actually. So it hits almost... Uh, it's a hit. What else have you got for us? So the second one this week is um, a kind of a rising star of Americana, Ashley McBride. She's um, an American singer from, from Arkansas who describes herself as a whiskey-drinking badass. And uh, she kind of cut her teeth playing in dive bars before bikers. And she, she's got an element of country music in she's taps into that kind of storytelling tradition but but the music itself it's much more in kind of heartland rock vein it's going to cut shades of like the heartbreakers john mellencamp 
kind of bluesy Bonnie Raitt kind of feel. Yet another of these stars, new stars coming out of Nashville in the you know in the wake of Casey Musgraves and Miranda Lambert, these kind of tough, straight-talking women, and. Um, there's a, there's a really nice track, the opening track on the album, Hang Hang In There Girl, which um, kind of talks about her kind of small town roots being kind of tangled up in the weeds of a small town, wanting to escape and just get out there on the highways. And uh, it's, it's a nice kind of rocking tune. Yeah, I enjoyed that, Adrian. Did, did you? Uh, how would yeah, you describe I, I, this one? Um, I, I did, actually. I think what really shines through on this one, I think, is her her storytelling and the detail. There's songs about, there's a lovely song, quite amusing song called One Night Standards, which is which, we, which she lays down the ground rules for an illicit affair. Uh, there's, a, there's another track that uh, finds her plotting an act of violence on the, some kind of philanderer and um but i think she's an ambitious i think she wants to break out of that kind of country country kind of niche as well i think there's a, the title track uh, has a line saying playing in bars only makes you the star of a house band so i think she's got ambitions as well to kind of cross over into the mainstream and i think i think this might be the record to do it actually so uh, which way are you going on this one I, I'm, going on hit, I'm going to hit again on this one Brilliant, thanks, AJ. And, and where can we find these? Uh, d- downloading through Spotify? So they're, so they're all, both out today on on kind of the usual streaming services. I think physical copies will be, uh, you know, they'll be out as well. Obviously, there's no shop, no record shops to go and buy them in, but uh, I think um, you can order them online as well if you wanted uh, the, you know, CDs or even vinyl. But, um, but they're certainly both out there um, in full to stream as of now. Finally, Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television critic. Oh, Claudia, every time I look at the TV, it seems to be a repeat. I'm yeah. really hoping that you've got something new for us. I've got, well, I've got, yes, I've got, I've got a, a couple of things that you, you wouldn't have seen before. So, you know, we'll start off with, um, I thought I'd start off with something light and uplifting. Um, Friday Night Dinner. Um, it's, it's a comedy series that's on, it's on telly tonight, obviously on Channel 4. Every Friday night, the Goodmans, they're a British Jewish family, get together for their traditional supper. Um, the mum is overbearing, the dad is a bad-tempered old misery. And then there's two adult sons, and they revert back to being kids when they're under the same roof, calling each other names and teasing. Um, this is the series. This is a new episode. It's the sixth series. It's probably going to be the final series, actually. And it looks at the silly minutiae of family life, um, the daft arguments, the inane conversations, and the fixations that you find in every family. And um, I think we've got a little clip here. In my shed is a rake. If you attach the rake to the broom, then that should be long enough to repeatedly whack you in the face with it. Idiot. No, we can fashion a device, get the bag down. Fashion a device? Dad, we don't care about your stupid bag. Yeah, it's a bag. I know it's a bag, but it's in a tree. It's a bag in a tree. Very heavy sedation? Boys, just leave him, will you? Goodbye. Forever. Oh, I mustn't forget to turn off the lights. Jackie? Night-night, Martin. But Jackie! Jimmy can't turn off his oxygen. 
Now, Claudette, Tamsi Gregg, uh, who plays the mother, yeah. is my favourite comic actress. I think she's brilliant. She can do no wrong for me. But it is a great cast, isn't it? It's a great cast. And actually, a really odd thing is that Tamsin Gregg plays a mum and Paul Ritter plays a dad. And then on Sunday nights, they star together in Belgravia. But this time, he's her butler. So <laughs> that's quite odd to watch uh, <laughs> but in in tonight's episode of friday night dinner the dad martin he becomes obsessed with the plastic carrier bag that got caught up by the wind and has ended up in the tree outside the house and that's it the whole episode is about his fixation on this bag how it got there how does he get it down and the rest of his family saying dad it doesn't matter and it just makes you think oh god every family is like that yes yeah. yeah yeah so at this time a domestic family comedy about people stuck in their dining room is the perfect fodder, really. Yeah, it is. It's I mean, in the 90s when we had the royal family and that was about a family who just sat on the sofa and stared at the telly and talked nonsense. And and this is very similar and it's, it's just as funny. And if people haven't seen any previous episodes, they're all there on Channel 4's catch-up service, all four. And it's, it, it's really worth a watch if you need a little bit of a mood boost. So hit or miss, Claudia? It's a hit. And what else have you got for us? Okay, so on Wednesday on BBC Two, there's a documentary. It's it's new. It's not a repeat. It's called um, The Countess and the Russian Billionaire. And it it was filmed over several years. And it tells the story of a Russian oligarch called uh, Sergei Pugachev and his British partner, Alexandra Tolstoy. Now, at one stage, Pugachev was worth 15 billion. His fortune came from shipping and mining. He was known as Putin's banker because he loaned money to the government. And then he met and fell in love with Alexandra, who is part of the famous Tolstoy family. And for many years, they lived this fabulous life of wealth and luxury. I mean, homes all over the world, servants, yachts, private jets. And then it all came crashing down. And I I think we have a little clip here for you. I'll show you my handbag cupboard. So my weakness is Chanel. It's filed. Yeah, it's filed. That's my amazing housekeeper. I do love clothes, I have to say. Lemonolo Blahnik. Oh, yeah. Who luckily is on the next door street. Sergei will freak out, but I mean, there are thousands and thousands of pounds of them there. Just hope my daughter grows up the same size feet as me. When I met Sergei, it was electric absolutely electric and amazing and I fell so in love with him. I mean it was so romantic that this very very powerful person with me he wanted to be a completely different person. So what's the documentary tell us about? Well so Sergei fell foul of Putin who accused him of embezzlement so then he learned that he was on a hit list in Russia and that they put Putin wanted him dead, so he had to flee Russia. At the start of the documentary, Sergei is living with his family in London, but then it becomes clear that he's he's not safe in London either. And you see this unfolds during the filming, that he's being watched. You can actually see the men outside his house with their earpieces, and then they find tracking devices on the family cars. So he flees to France, and he leaves the family behind. And then over the course of the documentary, which was yeah filmed over several years, um, everything unravels, including Sergei's relationship with Alexandra. He turns on her, and he starts accusing her of being in league with the Russian government, 
and it, it all becomes very sort of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and things end and this is so bizarre it ends with the pair of them taking part in what's the Russian equivalent of the Jerry Springer show so they both go on there this billionaire and his incredibly privileged wife and just start sort of knocking lumps out of each other oh, it's but like- it ends up as a fight <laughs> on telly yeah, she goes on and she doesn't know that they've secretly got him on as well. Oh, <laughs> how bizarre. How it is, bizarre. It is jaw-dropping, yeah. So so hit or miss for you, Well, it, it's, it's quite a watch, I have to say. It's, it, it's extraordinary, but it's a hit. Now you know what's worth downloading. And quite in truth, what should be given a very wide berth. My thanks to Brian, Claudia and Adrian. Now, over in New York, the male's own legendary Jackie Stephen usually spends most of her time, apparently, at celebrity parties. But she's been rather thriving while stuck in her flat overlooking the Hudson River. And and she joins me now. Uh, Jackie, uh, what self-improvement have you been up to in self-isolation this week? (laughs) Well, all my celebrity gossip I have to get from the internet or from TV. Uh, But all the TV shows are in lockdown as well. So celebrities are doing an awful lot of stuff from home. Uh, Presenters are. Uh, Jimmy Fallon's show is coming from home. So is Jimmy Kimmel's. And uh, it's quite an extraordinary situation. You're just looking at people by themselves or with their families. And, uh, you know, we can't do anything. But there's a lot of celebrity news still. You know, you go on the internet and there's a lot of stuff about people dying and contracting the virus. But the celebrities are really in competition with each other. It's almost like they're trying to outdo each other. Who can be the biggest celebrity in a crisis and And who's coming out on top at the moment well Hugh Jackman was very good this week because just outside my apartment uh the USNS Comfort arrived that's a big hospital ship in New York so that's right outside my window so the worst comes the worst I've got a hospital there and (laughs) Hugh Jackman uh, posted a very nice picture of himself and saying good luck to all the doctors and nurses on it so Hugh was very good he wasn't promoting himself Uh, The latest one is uh, Dolly Parton is starting Good Night with Dolly. Now, she's reading bedtime stories aimed at providing comfort and reassurance to children and families. Oh, that's rather sweet. Well, I don't know. Is she a comforting person? I mean, I can imagine if, if you're pressed up against her chest, she'd be very comforting. But I'm not sure that her voice would be. But that's uh, 10 minutes every Thursday on Imagination Library's uh, YouTube page. And uh, by the way, have you heard the isolation joke uh, doing the rounds? It's uh, Jolene. Please come and take my man because he's really getting on my nerves. <laughs> yes, yes, that that would really go down well. Uh, uh, you, you've also been uh, catching up on some highbrow stuff, opera, that kind of thing. Have you have you given that up, or are you still going down that route as well? Well, the Met did uh, a, a Wagner week, and I'm not a big Wagner fan, even in a crisis. If he was the last person to listen to, when if everyone else had gone, I wouldn't listen to Wagner. And I do find him a bit depressing uh, in this age, so I'm not crazy on that. Uh, but, you know, I'm doing a lot of reading. Uh, I'm reading Michael Cashman's autobiography, which is great. I'm reading Woody Allen's autobiography, which, given the Me Too movement and the attacks on Woody Allen, is probably a naughty thing to do. But he's a very good writer, and it's a fun book. I've ordered a Hilary Mantel book. Actually, I think it's probably my third Hilary Mantel book that I've ordered, and I've still yet to read one. <laughs> 
They're um, big, Jackie. They're big. You, you'll have a long, big. long time even, with one of those. They seem even bigger on Kindle on my uh, on my computer. So, uh, oh, it might be a while. But there are some good stories coming out of all the celebrity stuff as well. Uh, the Masked Singer is donating 10,000 masks. Now, let's hope they're not Rhino, Astronaut and Queen Bee. <laughs> Apparently, they are FDA-approved N95 masks, and they're delivering those to New York hospitals. Quite how the Masked Singers managed to come up with 10,000 masks when I can't get one till May the 21st. I have no idea. <laughs> the uh, Kardashians, of course, are capitalising on it. Uh, Kylie Jenner is bringing out uh, some hand sanitizer. Uh, her company is Kylie Cosmetics and Kylie Skin are worth billions. And how old is she? I don't know, 12. Uh, so she's going to be producing hand sanitizer, which is going to be a money-making project, obviously, for her. And doubtless she'll come up with a vaccine for the virus before the month's out as well. Yes. Uh, I, 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 what about anyone come up with toilet paper yet? Uh, that, that's that's a slightly PR-wise, it's a slightly difficult one, I would imagine. Well, interestingly, there was an episode of Vanderpump Rules this week in which one of the people plays a joke on another one and goes over to his house and just throws rolls and rolls of toilet paper uh, over the trees and you felt you just went no no you want it in a couple of weeks don't do that <laughs> yeah there's a very funny story about Ivanka Trump actually uh, she's learning to play the guitar she's rereading the Odyssey now note that rereading the That's fact that any of the Trumps can even read is a miracle. And that she's also, in the crisis, she said she's paid the florist in advance, just like every other parent in the country. Have you paid your florist in advance, Jim? For all it's the flowers you're going mind. to need? Skip my mind. Funny that, isn't it? It's very sad also, you know, some of the performers have had to cancel their tours. Uh, Justin Bieber's cancelled his, so he's spending his time photographing his wife Haley in the bath. Uh, Harry Styles has cancelled his and says he's trapped in California. Now, he's not actually trapped in California. There are loads of planes out of there still, even though it's in lockdown. And it's not in lockdown just yet. Uh, although I think it came into lockdown this week. Um, but he could get a plane out, and certainly a private plane if he wanted to. Uh, but I suspect he actually wants to stay in California. Uh, and Jackie, any sign of you being able to move? Is there any sign of the lockdown ending in New York? Absolutely nothing. Uh, we've been told that it's certainly in place until the end of April. They, and, and they said this week that... Uh, it'll probably peak in April, May. But now today they've said that it could well be July. So at the moment, we still can't do anything. My life consists of being indoors all the time. I do go out for exercise. And because I can't get a mask yet, I'm wearing a very big eye mask over my face uh, when I go out. If I'm in my apartment block uh, or I go out. But it's very, very strange not seeing anyone from day to day. I spend quite a lot of time on uh, the Internet. I did a quiz last Saturday with some friends. Friends. But there's been some very interesting research done about why this isn't enough for us. So although we're talking to people, the senses that we're using aren't full, obviously. You know, we've got, we can see people and we can hear people, but we can't smell, we can't touch, we can't taste. So in actual fact, most of our senses are in lockdown and that apparently is very bad for human beings and can lead to a lot of depression and loneliness. And I've had my bad days, as I suspect an awful lot of people have. 
And even people who are with someone indoors, some people are enjoying it and have found out things about each other that they didn't know before. Others are finding it very difficult. But amongst my friends, the thing that most people are finding very difficult uh, is not having work. And having to be indoors, I'm lucky in that respect in that I'm a writer and I always work from home anyway. So it's much easier for me than I suspect it is for other people. Jackie, you are the thing that is keeping us sane. Thanks so much for talking to us. (laughs) Lovely to talk to you. And that's it from It's Friday. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And if you'd like to drop us a line, we're on It's Friday at mailplus.co.uk. Until next week, I'm Jim White. Stay safe. <laughs>